God, we're so thankful to be here in your house this morning. We need you. I need you. We need you so much. We need your family. We need each other, and we need your word. God, so this morning, we open up our hearts and minds to receive with meekness the implanted word. God, I thank you that you've anointed Catherine for this morning, for this service. God, you've put a word in her to share with us. And God, we op- we're so open to hear what you have to say to us, to hear what the Spirit is speaking. And we just pray a blessing on her. God, that she would feel peace and confidence in everything that you've given her to share with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nicole. And thank you, everyone. Um, It's just amazing. Um, I'm just so grateful for your support and your cheerleading. And um, the past few years, just I've been been growing, and I'm just so grateful for for all of you. Um, I'm really excited to give you guys um, an Advent message, a Christmas message um, for today. We're going through um, an Advent series to prepare us for Christmas. I find the Christmas season fascinating. Um, I think it's interesting how uh, the most wonderful time of the year um, can also be the most stressful. Um, It could bring a lot of mixed feelings uh, for people. Um, We have a lot of these beautiful truths and at the same time we we miss people we love or, or there's just a lot of stress, things like that. I think about how, as a kid, I had high expectations. Um, just, just so, just so much that Christmas Day had to be the best day ever. And, um, but I would sometimes end up opening my stocking, just hoping that um, Santa would give a, a, a chocolate orange in there, maybe. Um, and if it was there, it was like, oh, God, relief. If it wasn't, it was like just being mopey. Sometimes I would cry at Christmas. I don't know if anyone's cried on Christmas. It's just too much. It's too overwhelming and, and such. But I think in high school, I, um, I had a bit of a shift. I mean, one was my, I have, I have four siblings. They all got married and went to the families that they married into. And so it was just my parents and me. So it was just different. The expectations had to shift. But I also began to see Advent and Christmas differently. I began to learn what Advent was, um, but also I began to love the contradictions um, that make Christmas time bizarre. There's just so many paradoxes. There's like this whiplash you get between the sacred and the profane. We have sweet little baby Jesus, and we have the pagan god Santa Claus. We have the rush and flurry of impatient shoppers, sleigh bells on blast, oversweetened cookies, ugly Christmas sweaters, and then the king of kings being glorified in a feeding trough. You have the noise of Mariah Carey vocals, followed by the hallelujah chorus, proclaiming that he shall reign forever and ever. In the midst of Christmas kitsch and high volume holiday ads, the peace of Christ cuts through the noise. And we have Advent season. The beauty of Advent season is that it's all about Jesus. It's center stage. So even if COVID cancels Christmas festivities, you can still celebrate Jesus. That's never canceled. And that's been a huge gift, I think, in the past couple of years. 
Advent season is part of the church calendar. It's the first four weeks before Christmas Day. Advent is about waiting for the arrival of Christ. We have two parallel timelines. One is the story of what happened when the people of God were waiting for the coming Messiah, with the Jewish people wondering how much longer till the Messiah would come down to save and restore their nation. And the other is the Messiah's second coming, which we are still waiting for. In Isaiah 9-6, the prophet proclaims, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the prophecy began to unfold when one night the shepherds were out in the field and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, bringing them good news of great joy that will be for all people, that unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then suddenly a multitude of the heavenly hosts showed up and began praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Messiah had come and he would soon run a kingdom with a government of peace. This morning, the Advent theme is peace. So we'll be looking at Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22 to explore more in depth how peace came with Christ. So I'll read the whole passage through, and then we'll, we'll unpack it together. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So here, uh, Paul's talking to the Gentiles. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ, himself, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And God, I just pray that your Spirit would, um, would flow through me and you would, you would be with each one of us um, who's listening. And I just pray that you would, um, there would be something that you would want us um, to know and hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to circle back to verse 12. It says, remember that you were at that time 
separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul here is talking to Gentiles in Ephesus, people who weren't Jewish, who may not have been immersed in the culture and legacy of a patriarch like Abraham, whom God made a covenant with and said he would bless all the earth through Abraham's descendants, and to whom he revealed his character, which was just, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. For a Jew to realize that Jesus is the Messiah, it's a, it's a smaller jump, it's an easier conversion, they have all this background and worldview. But for a Gentile who had little sense of the God of Abraham before hearing the gospel, following Jesus was an immense yet possible leap. Hence, they are described in the passage, um, in this Ephesian passage, as those who were far off. Paul is reminding the Ephesians who they were before they encountered Christ, that they were dead in their sin, living in the passions of their flesh, and were children of wrath. And being a child of wrath formed a wall of hostility between them and God. On a broader scale, Paul's comment reminds us where the hostility in the world comes from. We live in a world of unrest because the world is filled with humans who live without God, who are dead in their sin, who live for their desires rather than God's desires. And sin is a serious matter. A sinful nature that goes unchecked can spread like a disease passed inherently from generation to generation. And we can see the results, all the fighting and warfare, dehumanization, the belief that one's race or nation is better than another's, the exploitation and the genocide that has occurred, all these terrible things. It stems from humans whose hearts are cold to the love and holiness of God. And it's a big mess. We know this but not enough activism, not enough good deeds on their own terms will save the whole world because all of our hearts are still bent toward corruption. You ever try harder, aim to be perfect? Doesn't take long to self-sabotage. We can't save ourselves from ourselves. We need a savior. Only the second person of the triune God, Jesus, the Christ, the son of God, only he can bring sufficient peace. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ himself is our peace. It is his blood, his flesh, his body on the cross, breaking down a dividing wall of hostility. God incarnate, God who became man and walked amongst us, Jesus became the sacrifice to pay for our sins. There had to be a payment since God the Father is just, but Jesus paid it for us. Then when it says in verse 14, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. This is talking about Jesus fulfilling the Mosaic law that was a placeholder made for the Israelites in covenant with God, in which they kept having to do these animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. They had to do it each time that they realized that they sinned. It, it wasn't a one-time thing. But with Jesus, 
He became that blameless lamb once and for all. And God confirmed that sacrifice worthy when Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. No longer would Jews fall short by not keeping the law. No longer would Gentiles fall short by not knowing God at all. But Christ abolished and fulfilled the law, allowing any person, no matter their ethnic background, to approach God and receive his spirit, becoming a new person with the identity of Christ. In the letter to the Ephesians, the message of reconciliation is twofold. Uh, so there's two points. One, the, peace of, the first one is that the peace of Christ reconciles us to God the Father. Verse 16 says, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Before Christ... There was a barrier between us and God. It was sin unaccounted for, which built a wall of hostility. But now, anyone who comes to God to accept his gift of salvation paid by Jesus is reconciled to God. When you are reconciled to someone, you become a closer friend to them. By being reconciled to God, we have become friends with God. What happens when we become friends with God is we get to know him. We get to know what he cares about. We get to know what he desires and his desires become ours. Any hatred or indifference towards God is replaced with the love for God. Sure, um, and we've known that like he's, he's loved us the whole time. And that, that, or what the reality is is that he's loved us the whole time, but now we can see that God loves us. We can see that. We can understand that. God loves me. I'm a friend of God. And we respond to him with love. And we live with him and for him. And we get to talk to him all the time. And the pastimes that may have been addictions to feed our dopamine kick, they don't really satisfy the same way they used to. They don't sit right with us. He's given us different desires. God with his spirit poured in our hearts, give us a new taste for what he desires. To have access in one spirit to the Father, just think how amazing it is that we have access to God, that we have his attention. And the fact that we can, we can trust God, God is, God is holy, he's perfect, so he's the most trustworthy thing out there. Um, we know him, we get to know him. And when you know someone, you get to, you get to be weak and vulnerable. Um, he, he listens to you. You can lean on God, you can depend on him. You can cry out to him. You can ask him for wisdom. You don't have to figure out life on your own. He's there the whole time. Um, he's, he's everywhere. You could be in a long line, uh, security check-in in the airport where you're just you're just going through and but God is there too he's he can create meaning in mundane places he can see oh there's all these people that you've created okay God you're here I'm with you in the airport what do I what do you want me to do here and he he does that 
I can lie down in my bed and all the worry and thoughts in my head, it's like, okay, hand it to the Father. All right, God, you take care of it. You handle the details. Help me to trust you. Okay, God, here are my desires. You can have them and shape them. That was the peace that Jesus made happen to be reunited with the Father. He allowed um, just this relationship by him coming on the, dying on the cross and his blood, it, cre- it created the path to a relationship with God that we can have that is just so intimate and beautiful and just so, it just changes everything. I just don't know what I would do. I don't know about you, but I don't know what I would do without God. But before I get too individualistic, let me reread that Christ might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Christ didn't reconcile to God a bunch of individuals, independent people. He reconciled a variety of people to God, which means together we have access in one spirit to the Father. I also can't imagine life without a company of believers pursuing the Lord together because I learn more about God when I'm around you. You're learning new things. I'm learning new things. We share about that. And then we keep that in mind as we walk through life. Or when we're praying together at Wednesday Refresh or Sunday mornings, we're reminding each other how to revere God and call him friend at the same time. He is, he is to be feared and he is kind. And we, we learn that in, from each other. Um, I'm reminded how bold we can be in our faith to ask God for big things. By myself, sometimes my, my prayers can get small. Um, I might say, God, I ask that the event can go smoothly. Um, which is okay, but it's, you know, um, or you can say that, I pray that this person in pain, that you would walk them through the pain. Um, sometimes it, my prayers can get small because it's hard for me to imagine the pain to be totally gone um, or for the event to be something where all these people see what, oh God, I see you, wow. Not just that it's a nice time. But then I, I go to a prayer gathering um, and we're, we're, we're praying for healing. Um, it was beautiful. I was thinking about this, but it was just beautiful this morning. We were praying for, for John's healing of cancer. We're just praying, God, let it go, let it go. We are going to keep praying, and we're going to keep doing that. And this boldness in our faith as a church, we're going to keep praying um, that, John, that the cancer will go out of John. Um, we don't lose heart. And that's the beauty of just like the saints coming together to pray um, and what Jesus did to, to reunite us. We're the body of believers in one spirit, having access to the Father. The peace with God together is a joy, binded by the blood and love of Christ. That segues into uh, our second point. The first point was that the peace of Christ reconciles us to God the Father. The second point is that the peace of Christ creates a kingdom of diverse believers designed to be reconciled to one another. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Christ has reconciled his followers into a citizenship within his kingdom. It's not just personal, it's a citizenship. He's reconciled us into a family, into the household of God, which is the church. And the church, when it's talking about here, for through him we both have access. It's thinking Jews and Gentiles, but if we're thinking more broadly, like what, what's, what's Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews, this means it's like the church weaves together people throughout all the earth and from all these nationalities and all these cultures and ethnic backgrounds. He's, God weaves together Nigerians and Ethiopians and Chinese and Koreans, even the Russians and the English and the Haitians and the Narragansett. He's just weaving all of us together. Um, even though we have different languages and perspectives and personalities, and he's putting us different people together in the same kingdom of God, and Christ unites us. Christ has called us to be peacemakers. Um, Oh no, first I want to say that Jesus came to establish a new order, a kingdom where he'd be the prince of peace, and his citizens are created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And with these good works, he has called us to be peacemakers. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so we can see the injustice and enmity in the world and respond with peace. The household is described, the household of God is described as one structure that in Christ being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And, and notice the process. It's, it's not complete yet. We're, we're growing into um, being joined together. We grow into a holy temple in the Lord. We are being built into a dwelling place. Um, we are unified in Christ, and the work is not finished. On this side of eternity, when we're still waiting for Christ to come, it's no wonder um, the church at large can, can struggle to be unified. We're still, we're still working through it. Um, but sometimes I'm, when, I see, when I see fighting and, um, and such in the church, I, I'm tempted to get cynical and doubt God working. I'm like, wait, where is this peace? Where is this unity? I thought this is what you're doing. I, I, I don't understand right now. Um, and as I was like, even studying, even studying this, I'm like, it's like effect, like one, I'm wondering myself, like, how do I, how do I take this idea of reconciliation and see, okay, God, what do we do with this? We're, we're, we're meant to be unified. Um, but rereading verse 14, I reread verse 14. Uh, and it says, for he, Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the wall of hostility. 
If Christ alone is our peace, then it is crucial to lean into him and the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Like that, that we need to do that. If we're, going to ha- if we're going to be unified, we need to lean on Christ. If we're going to continue to be unified, we need to lean on Christ. We need to lean on the spirit he gave us when we uh, said, Jesus, here I am, I'm, I'm following you, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. Lean on the Holy Spirit when you need to address a conflict with someone and reconcile. You can't do that alone. You need his wisdom. Lean on the Holy Spirit when you're having a conversation with someone and he or she shares a different opinion than you. Maybe it's a political one and, um, and you're a little like, just like, ah, I don't know what to do with this. And your brain's going and like, how do I respond? Or I want to react really strongly. But remember who you are. You are a peacemaker. If, you're, um, if they're a brother or sister in Christ, also keep in mind that you're on the same team. You're not on opposing teams. We're on the same team, um, which is that we, we want God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. So ask the Lord in that moment, okay, God, how do I respond with truth and love in that moment? Be a peacemaker. Um, and thinking about just how this is our diverse family, I was thinking about racial reconciliation too. We lean on the Holy Spirit when we pursue racial reconciliation. Um, if people in our, of color in our neighborhood are concerned about racial disparities and justice and being heard, it's our concern. The racial and ethnic prejudice that Satan used to form hierarchies must now be turned on its head in Jesus' name. Um, and I just, I has me pray, Lord, we need your power and humility. Give us wisdom in how to honor, listen to, and serve one another when it comes to addressing racial injustice. Help us to be unified and help the church at large to be unified. And we continue, let's continue to pray like this. We need the Holy Spirit and justice work. It is a partnership. That's what we need to do. That's what we're called to do. Overall, reconciliation in our own strength will not be enough. But reconciliation that is spirit-led can make lasting headway. We begin the work now of what, Jesus, of what citizens of Jesus' kingdom are created to do forever and ever. The spirit will continue to help us until Christ's return, when the world will be fully restored, when new creation when, comes, when, when heaven comes down to earth when the world will be fully restored and we will not be wrestling with evil and sin anymore. That is the hope we have. Peace will come forever and it will last. This Advent and Christmas, keep what God is doing in our lives today, this sanctification, this process, and keep what's, com- what's to come, this lasting peace, keep it in the forefront of your mind. Keep an an eternal perspective. Believer, you are a kingdom worker. Let it affect the way you see people. If you work retail and Christmas shoppers yell in your face, Christ is your peace. He will help you respond with gentleness. I'm thinking of that because I got got stuck in this line um, in the garage and there were all these people it was a, the, the cars, and yeah, I got, real, I got yelled at, classic, classic yelling, and I was like, okay, God, 
how do I respond to this person who thinks I'm an idiot? All right. Um, when you visit your dysfunctional family, Christ is your peace. Let him guide you in wisdom and in how to be a, a reconciler um, when you visit and when you're, when you're with people. When you're so drained because you're the mom and you're trying to make Christmas happen, you're exhausted, Christ is your peace. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He'll give you strength and rest. The first time Jesus came, he created a way for us to be reconciled to God, to have peace um, with God and gain peace from God in moments. Um, Jesus created a way to be recon- for us to be reconciled to people different from us. And the next time Jesus physically comes, we will see peace fully restored through the earth. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen? Amen. Thank you, everybody. (laughs)